I'd like to explain what Mission brought the Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll do some study when it is in on this matter of prayer and some other related subjects. Ephesians chapter 6 uh, has a great deal to Christian uh, combat uh, equipment. You know, when you're following the Lord, you're going to be involved in spiritual warfare. You cannot avoid that. Sooner or later you're going to come to grips with the fact that Satan is reality and that this is a spiritual battle. Now, right now, if you're a new Christian or if you're not a Christian yet, you might feel a little spooked over this whole idea that there is a devil. And uh, I know many uh, Christians, new Christians, and of course many non-Christians don't believe that there's a devil. However, we've come to an interesting change of things in just the last uh, three or four years. I, I think sometimes people believe more in the devil than they do in the Lord. I've uh, met some folks that, uh, that they don't believe in God so much, but they certainly do believe in Satan. And that's really something that's very scary in itself. I was uh, in New Orleans uh, about three years ago in a Bible conference. And the pastor of the church and I would go down, we had a ministry uh, with another friend down in the French Quarter. And every night after we finished uh, the Bible conference, we'd go down there to uh, the lower side of the French Quarter where I saw more of the derelicts of humanity in one place that I think I've seen in a long time. And we saw people who were in the street and it was just a frightening thing to see how rapidly it had spread at that time and was continuing to spread all over that area of the French Quarter. And uh, Satan was working there just about as hard as the Christians, if not a little hard, and actually trying to recruit people. And uh, I talked to one fellow who had a strong belief in Satan. He said, I've seen him. He said, man, I know he's real. I've I, he had known the pastor Satan himself, had given his soul to Satan. He says, I know what he's like. And I tried to win him to Christ. And uh, he listened and yet his mind had been so twisted and warped by drugs and by his uh, Satan worship experiences that though he seemed to be hungry for Christ, he just couldn't quite come to that place. He, he felt that he was in bondage to Satan because of the past he'd made with him. And I kept saying, listen, Jesus is He is more powerful than Satan. So whether you realize that there is a Satan or not is really uh, not a big issue right at this point. The fact is, if you walk with the Lord very long, you're going to come out to him. And uh, so in verse 10, we find Paul saying, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might the strength of his mind. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the scheme of the devil. By the way, that's, that word scheme means the well-laid plans of Satan. And I want to say to you who are believers in the Lord that you, uh, you can never uh, be careless uh, towards Satan because he's got tracks set for us. And I think if we walk, we need to learn to sense the warning signals that the Holy Spirit will give us. 
you walk in the Lord and you walk in the Spirit, you'll get you'll get where you can sense the warning signals that that this is an attack from the enemy. And you'll also learn that there are certain times when he's going to hit you. You'll learn, for instance, that after you've had a spiritual high, be sure he's right around the corner because he wants to pull you off that spiritual high if he can and defeat you. So uh, be prepared for that. Also, you'll find this, that as you walk with the Lord, uh, maybe there'll come a time when things are just sort of coasting along and you feel like nothing really big has happened to you, no real obstacles or problems, everything's just going well. That's another danger point because Satan would like to get you into a sort of a lethargy frame of mind. But there are many, many schemes that he has for those who, who are not aware of his plan. And Paul says that we are to take on the full armor of God that we may be, be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. You know, I think those flaming arrows or missiles really are doubts. Now, that, that may, you, know, you could probably interpret this in many ways, but I think that's basically what they are. One thing that you'll find as a Christian, that before you've been a Christian very long, Satan will find some way to make you start doubting God. And he'll get you to doubt God at several different points. One, he will get you to doubt the love of God. You'll say, you know, if God really loved me, he wouldn't let my world fall apart like he has. Why hasn't he straightened out my home problem? Or why hasn't he straightened out this situation? Or why has he allowed this loved one of mine to be sick or to die or, or anything? You know, why hasn't God stepped into my, my situation? And uh, so we begin to doubt the love of God. I've been in those shoes. I know what it is to be taught with doubt and to doubt God. And uh, it's so subtle. One brother talked to me yesterday about this. And he said that he had begun to doubt the love of God and he didn't know that he was a Christian. And circumstances had gone bad in his first marriage and his wife and he had divorced years ago. And uh, he didn't understand why. He was a Christian at the time. And he couldn't understand it. He told me yesterday, he says, I didn't know for a long time that I had developed a bitterness in my heart toward God. I just knew I was bitter about life and I was bitter about the things that had happened in, in my circumstances and I didn't I couldn't understand them. And then he says, I saw the root problem. First he saw that the, the, uh, the, 
the real situation that, that he'd gotten into was bitterness, and the bitterness was toward God, but the root problem was deeper than that. It was that he doubted that God loved him. He couldn't believe that God loved him. And some of us went kind of back into the hills uh, yesterday to have a little kind of prayer, and he went along with it, and it was a beautiful thing when he asked us to pray for him that he would be able to believe that God loves him. I'm sure that there are some people right here in this room tonight that need to pray that the Lord will help you to see that God loves you. Not that he loves the world. You know, we say, oh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We can believe he loves everybody but us. You know? It's believing that he loves us that makes the difference. And then, then Satan will cause you to doubt the power of God. You'll say, you know, you'll say, well, God must not be able to change my situation. Maybe he loves me, but apparently God's not able to handle this problem. So we doubt his power. Then, of course, we doubt many other things about the nature and character of God. But this is what these flaming missiles are. They burn. The doubt begins to burn their way into our hearts. And the shield of faith is able to extinguish the flaming missile. And we hold it up and we say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I don't care what the circumstances look like. No matter what my, my situation is, I will trust you. And you know, you can choose to do that. Now, when a, when a heartache or a heartbreak strikes you, you have one of two choices. You can either accept that and say, Father, I don't understand it, but you are a God of love, and you say that you cause all things to work together for good to those who love you, to those who are called according to your purpose. And Father, I believe that. And I'm choosing to believe. Or you can take the other avenue, which is bitterness and resentment, and the roots of bitterness will take hold in your heart. And remember, the Bible speaks in in uh, Hebrews 12, verse 15, about the root of bitterness that defiles many. And roots are under the surface. You can't see roots. You go out here in this yard, you don't see There are millions of roots in the dirt, and you don't see them. And so it is with the roots of bitterness. They get into our heart, and they find the cracks and the crevices of our heart, and we don't even know they're there. But they're there. Sometimes they surface enough for us to realize that they're there. And they rob us of our spiritual power. And uh, so we can take this course of action. We can resent God, be bitter toward God, and uh, take a, an attitude of negative unbelief in the matter. I have one of two choices. Either to believe He loves me, that he's in control, that he'll work it out for my good, or I can take the, the unbelieving path of resentment and bitterness. And resentment and bitterness will defile your life and destroy it. Now, I, I tell you, I've walked enough in life and had enough of some of the hard things to happen in life to know the temptation to bitterness. And I have, there have been times when I've been bitter toward God. And I've, I've said some bad things to God. 
I'm ashamed I've said them, but I have said them just the same. The truth is I've said some really bad things to God. And I've told God off because I didn't like the way he had handled my situation. And I've had some strong bitterness to it, toward him. But you know what I found solved the problem of the root of bitterness? It's the grace of God. That same verse in Hebrews 12, 15 says, See that no one comes short of the grace of God. And when you begin to accept the fact that God loves you unconditionally, just like you are, He loves you so much that when you get through telling Him off, He says, I still love you. <laughs> I still love you anyhow, whether you like it or not. God doesn't change His attitude of love toward us. Then, when we reach that place of accepting His grace, the roots of bitterness just begin to die. And they begin to get rooted out and pulled out of our life. So, these missiles are the, the missiles of doubt. These arrows are the arrows of doubt that Satan would shoot at. And you can either choose to believe God and believe that he loves you, or you can choose not to. Alright, let's go on. And take the helmet of salvation. This is Hebrews or Ephesians six seventeen. Take the helmet of salvation. That's the assurance of our salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the rest of our. That's the offensive weapon. All the rest of these uh, bits of our weaponry or our our armor are defensive. But here's the Word of God. It's offensive. And then he says in verse 18, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Now notice how much he's talking about prayer. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, Paul is talking about praying for him. He says, pray for me that I might have boldness. Can you imagine Paul asking that? Man, if he needed boldness, what do we need? He says, and pray that I ought to speak as I should, that I may speak, as I, speak boldly as I ought to speak. I have a tendency not to be bold. I always kind of envy people who are. I have a contractor friend. He's with the Lord right now. But you know, we should never speak of those who've gone to be with the Lord as in the past tense. My, my dear friend Norman Grubb never speaks of those who've gone to be with the Lord in the past tense. He speaks of them in the present tense. His father-in-law, C.T. Studd, who died many years ago, I've heard him talk about C.T. Studd. He'll say, C.T. just loves to do so and so. And C.T.'s been with the Lord for I don't know how long, you know, at least 20 years or more. But he doesn't see them as gone, you know. They're just sort of transferred from one part of the uh, of the, this life to another. But they're there, and they're, you know, they're with a great cloud of witnesses watching what's going on down here. But anyhow, this dear friend of mine, who is now with the Lord, he he had such boldness as he witnessed for Christ. And I tell you, he was a contractor from Fort Worth, Texas, and I would go with him. Uh, first time I ever went with him, he talked to an alcoholic. 
and he got old Frank on his knees and uh, had him pray and ask the Lord into his life. And when he finished, and he just sort of wandered around in the scriptures, and I thought, where's this guy going anyhow? You know, it didn't seem like he was doing much. And after a while, he had Frank on his knees praying. And he said, now, Frank, did you ask the Lord into your heart? He said, I sure did. He says, I remember uh, Mr. O'Neill said, well, amen. Praise the Lord. He says, you're a Christian. You're saved. And I thought in my skeptical mind, yeah, yeah, who this guy saved? I'd seen him drunk in the gutter time after time. I didn't believe it. You know, Mr. O'Neill believed it because he believed God. He believed Romans 10.13 that says, Whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he believed it so much that he, he felt that no man could call on the Lord without being saved. And that night he got uh, Frank Gore to make a public confession of his faith in a, in a tent revival meeting that we had in that little community. And you know, uh, Frank Gore really was saved. He became a, a tremendous witness for Christ in that community. Led many of his old drinking buddies to Christ. Became a, a teacher in the Sunday school in his church. All because a man just wouldn't take no for an answer. Who believed God. And sometimes I would drive Mr. O'Neill from Birmingham back to Fort Worth. And I always liked to do it. I was in college at the time. And he had a big Cadillac. And I, I loved to drive that Cadillac. And we'd stop. Of course, Cadillac can't pass the service station, you know. And uh, er, just uh, ever so often, we'd stop to fill up gas. And he'd say, okay, Gordon, it's your turn this time. And we'd talk to every service station attendant that we'd stop at, you know, all the way between Birmingham and Fort Worth, sharing Christ with them. He was just a man who believed God, who trusted God, who didn't believe God could lie. And... Uh, he was bold. He certainly taught me many things uh, about sharing Christ. And I only wish that I could have more of his boldness. But notice what Paul said in verse 19. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. Now, if, that's, if, if you want to learn how to pray, study the prayers of Paul and the prayers of Jesus and the, the other men in the Scriptures. But... Here he tells his brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for him. And you need to pray for those that you know that are in Christian work. doesn't mean uh, pray for Jack. He's in Christian work. Pray for anybody that you know is in Christian work. You're in Christian work. Pray for yourself for boldness that we, uh, that we might speak as we ought to speak. And then he says in verse 18, with all prayer and petition. Here, here he's telling... The, the believer, how not only should he take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and not only all this armor, but he says, now prayer is the lifeline of the believer's life. And I believe that, that the implication here is, or the, the plain statement is, that we are in continual prayer, as she said a moment ago. Continual prayer. Uh, one of my favorite prayer places is in my car, driving down the highway. Uh, in fact, you know, you can develop habits of prayer. And one thing that I've done is almost, it's just become almost second nature when I turn on the switch. If I'm in the car by myself, I start talking to the Lord. And uh, most of the time that I'm driving, I'm just talking to the Lord. Uh, 
I'd rather pray uh, in private, but sometimes life gets too busy even to do that if you're not careful to have those private times of prayer. But uh, talking to the Lord as you drive down the road, when you're standing at the sink washing dishes, or when you're doing some something that doesn't take 100% of concentration, you can be praying at all times, he said, in the Spirit. You say, well, how do I pray in the Spirit? Well, I know that there are various interpretations of that, and I think that uh, that the Lord, whatever the Lord has shown you about that, you take it as from Him, and you pray in the Spirit in the way He shows you. But I believe it's very simple. I believe that any Christian who just says, Lord, I want my prayer to be your prayer. I want the Holy Spirit to inspire this prayer. And as I talk to you, I'm just trusting that it's the Spirit praying in me, and I'm in the Spirit, and He's in me. And the communication of my heart is the communication of the Spirit. And there can be a continuous attitude of prayer in the believer's life, all day long, walking down the street, driving your automobile, working in the house, working on the job, just a continuous attitude of talking to the Lord. Paul said, pray without ceasing. In 1 Thessalonians 5, I believe it's verse 18 or 19. Pray without ceasing. Now, uh, sometimes that sounds impossible, doesn't it? How can I pray without ceasing? I've got to stop long enough to work a math problem or, or to solve a difficult situation on the job. Well, that's all right. You're still praying, you know, in your inner man. Your spirit's still looking to the Lord. And depending on the Lord, it gives you strength in that situation. And uh, it's just a momentary interruption. It's just, it's, it's a beautiful thing for me uh, to, to listen to Norman Grubb pray. I mentioned him a moment ago. Uh, he, he talks about his father-in-law, C.T. Studd. Norman has written several books. If you ever get a chance to get a hold of any of his books, they're worth reading. His book, God Unlimited. His book, The Law of Faith. They're fantastic. Uh, he's written a number. One's called The Liberating Secret. Anyhow, uh, I've been with him on a number of occasions and people ask him to lead in prayer. And you know, it's, kind of funny to listen to him because it sounds like what he's doing is just sort of starting to verbalize out loud a, a conversation he's been carrying on all along. It, it's no special deal. He's, well, now, Lord, we just thank you for this situation, you know, and it's just like all he does is start talking out loud, but he's been talking silently the whole time, and he just sort of interrupts at that particular point and makes it verbal, makes it audible, uh, and, and it's just like he's made audible a continuous flow of prayer. And I think that's sort of the way the Christians walk out of these. Just that once in a while we, we make audible what is the inaudible flow of our heart and our spirit as we commune with the Lord. And then he says, with all prayer and petition. And this indicates, by the way, that there are different kinds of prayer. And I, I don't, I know... Uh, authority on prayer. But let me suggest to you that uh, one of the finest little books that I know of on prayer is by E.M. Bounds, B-O-U-N-D-S. little booklet on prayer. It's a beautiful thing. And it'll, it'll stimulate your own prayer life. And 
he he helps to bring out in that little book that the different ways that we pray and different kinds of prayer. I believe that prayer is the simplest thing a Christian can do, and at the same time, it's the most complex thing we can do. The simplest prayer is help. Lord, help me. And every one of us has been in that situation. And yet, you can graduate from the kindergarten to the graduate school of prayer where you're interceding in behalf of people and nations. You know, the scripture indicates that it's possible to move nations in prayer. And I believe that in the crisis times that we live in, we need to be praying in such a way that we see God change the course of nations. Our country certainly needs it right now. I believe we're near the return of the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. And we're going to have to be praying that in this time of crisis, when many people are being caught up in the world system and being caught up in the confusion that's going on, that at the same time there will be multitudes turned to Christ. And I believe that's what's happening. You know, the gap just seems to be widening between those who mean business for the Lord and those who don't. And uh, this is a time for much prayer. Paul says, with all prayer and petition, some prayers are very simple, requests for help, some prayers are intercession in behalf of others, asking God to move lives, to change directions, to move the hearts of men. Pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. I wonder how much we pray for other believers. One thing that has helped me, and I, I'm not as good as I'd like to be on this, but I do try to uh, make up lists for prayer. Uh, doesn't mean that you have to be in bondage to a prayer list where you just sort of go by rote down the list, you know, now Lord bless Sally and Tom and Jim and so forth. But it does help you to recall pray to pray for some of these people who have special needs. And I believe that that's what Paul has in mind when he says that we need all, with, to be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all things. I think the body of Christ is in greater need of prayer almost than, than, uh, than the world. Because if the body of Christ, if the saints in Corpus Christi could be walking in the Spirit, could be loving one another, if there could be a genuine love in the body of Christ here where we don't care whether you're Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic, and where we could really see one another's needs and being picking, constantly picking up those who are falling, uh, if we had that kind of love in the body of Christ, I'll tell you the world would say, I want that. See, they would look for what we have. I want you to turn with me to the first chapter of Ephesians. And we'll just look at one of Paul's prayers. But before we do it, just want, we'll just read through some of the verses here, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. First of all, do you see where you get your blessings? 
in Christ. Everything that, that God has to offer is in Christ. And uh, sometimes we think that God dispenses blessings sort of in little packages. He gives you peace or He gives you love or He gives you a gift of the Spirit or He gives you a ministry or He gives you all of this is sort of in separate little dispensations. But that's not the way God does. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And all that we have is from Him. And when you have Christ, you have all that God can give you. You may not have appropriated all of Christ that He wants you to appropriate, but you have all that God can give you. He can't give you something more than Christ. And sometimes what we need to do is come to a place where we say, Lord Jesus, I may have all of you, but you don't have all of me yet. And I, I haven't appropriated you in my life. I don't know what it really means to have you in my life. And so he says he's blessed us with, all, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's good news, isn't it? That we should be holy and blameless before him. You know, when you enter into Christ, you participate in His righteousness. And as far as God is concerned, you have the same righteousness that Christ Himself has because Christ is your righteousness. And that means that you're holy and blameless before God in Christ. In Him, or in love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. I love that thought. The will of God is kind. God has kind things in mind as far as His will for us is concerned. You know, most Christians are afraid of the will of God. In fact, the reason some people don't become Christians is because they're afraid if they accept Jesus as their Savior, they're going to wind up having to go to Africa as missionaries. And a lot of Christians feel like that when all else has failed, then they'll start trusting God and turn their life over to Him to let Him do His will in their life. And they can't make themselves believe that God has good things in mind for them. Paul speaks of the kind intention of the will of God, not the evil intention. You know, suppose that your little child came to you. Let's say your son or your daughter and said, Mommy or Daddy, I love you. And I want to do anything you want me to do. In fact, I'll start out by making up my bed, and I'll help. This grace Thomas. He doesn't just sort of dribble it on us. He pours it out abundantly. He lavishes his grace upon us. And he says that this forgiveness is according to the riches of his grace. When you think about how rich God is, that's how much he forgives It's an unlimited forgiveness. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. Notice again he mentions the kind intention of the will of God. God is not doesn't have evil things in store for us. He has good things in store for us. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth. Now, again, just a moment to pause there. Uh, 
there's some great things coming. And the Bible indicates that in the very near future, I believe we're going to see things within our own lifetime that, are, that will stagger our imagination. When, it, when, when everything becomes summed up in Christ and when He takes over true rulership and headship in this world, it will stagger our imagination. Uh, I, I believe the things that are happening in Israel are fantastically important to the plan of God. I believe that the return of Christ is near. And I know that Christians have been saying this for a long time. But I want to tell you, there's never been a time like what we're living in right now. First of all, Israel hasn't been a nation all that long. And if you study what Jesus said in Mark 13, he said, when you see the fig tree putting forth its leaves, then you know that the coming of the Son of Man is near right at the door, is what he said. And the fig tree is Israel. And if you look in Mark chapter 10, he had cursed the fig tree and it had withered from its roots up and that was a symbol of the fact that Israel was cursed because they had rejected their Messiah. The whole situation was that, the, that every level of spiritual and, and uh, political leadership in Israel had rejected Jesus as their Messiah. Every one of them had rejected him. And so the fig tree being cursed in that chapter is a symbol of Israel. And it withered from the roots up, cut off from the source of life. You see, trees don't usually do that. They die from the leaves down. But that fig tree died from the roots up, indicating it was an act of God. And then just two chapters later, Jesus said, but when you see the fig tree putting forth its leaves again, then you know that the coming of the Son of Man is nigh, even at the door. And he said that this generation, the generation living when that happens, will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. Now, the only way I can interpret that is that the generation that's living when Israel became a nation, a nation again, well, I don't know when to point that, uh, when, when to start the clock turning as God's the one that does that whether it started in uh, 48 when Israel became a nation or whether it started in 67 when they re regained old Jerusalem I don't know or some say it even started further back than that at the end of World War One, and they take 70 years to be a generation rather than 40 I don't know I'm not setting any dates except this, that I do believe we live in an exciting time. And a time when we shall see the consummation of all things in Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about. That the, he will be the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in, in the heavens and things upon the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Bible says if you are a believer, 
God has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. And, and you remember when Pilate put a seal on the tomb of Jesus? No power on earth could break that seal. It took a power greater than the Roman government. And that was God himself to break it. And when God puts that seal on you, that is a permanent seal. And he says, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. I promise. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. You know what that says? He's the down payment on the better things to come. You think about the greatest joy, the greatest spiritual joy you've ever had. The, the, the best spiritual high you've ever been on. Just think about it. You know, some of us have had some tremendous experiences. I, I, the Lord has been good to me in this regard. And I've had some marvelous experiences that were really mountaintop experiences. When the Holy Spirit so filled me and overflowed my heart and life till literally I felt that I, I was not, it wasn't me, it was God speaking through my very words and in control of my mind. And it was just a fantastic experience. To be filled with his spirit. And uh, many of us, I'm sure, in this room have had some great spiritual experiences. Some may not yet have had those. Maybe you've just accepted the Lord and, and that's been a great spiritual experience, but there's so far you feel like you've been kind of walking in the valley instead of on the mountain peak. That's all right. The Lord's in the valleys too. In fact, I think most of our walk is down in the valley. He just gives you a mountain peak once in a while. You know, he's trying to teach us to walk rather than to fly. And uh, so don't be discouraged if you haven't had a great number of spiritual highs. But just think about the most wonderful, joyous spiritual moments you've ever had and multiply that by about a million. And you have some idea of what's ahead. The Holy Spirit is just a down payment on better things to come. He's the pledge of our inheritance, he said. With a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. We're God's possession. The redemption is not completed yet. You know when it's going to be complete? When you get a new body. And I have a body that is subject to weaknesses and frailties. And... Uh, I tell you, there's a lot of times I've said, Lord, I sure would like to have that resurrection body. You get tired of dragging this old flesh around. And one day he's coming and he's going to transform this body and make it like his glorious body. And that's going to be a glorious day. That'll be the full redemption. In fact, in Romans 8, Paul says that, that, that when the children of God are redeemed and we get our resurrection bodies, that the very earth itself will go through a change. And lions will stop eating meat. And they'll lie down, they'll start eating straw like an ox. And they'll lie down beside a lamb. And nations will not lift up sword against nations. Neither will they learn war anymore. And righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. A little child can play over a cobra's den and not be afraid. These are all promises, and I believe they're going to be fulfilled literally. What a day is yet ahead. Paul says in Romans 11 that when, when God brings this about, when the, the fulfillment of his plan, the redemption of not only our human bodies, but the transformation of the earth, 
And when Israel itself turns to Christ, the whole nation will be saved, it says. Listen, it's going to be such a day, it'll be like a resurrection from the dead, he says. It's going to be a fantastic thing. Well, that's the, that's the redemption of God's possession, which is yet ahead. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you. Do you thank God for your brothers and sisters in the Lord? Thank God for those who care for you and for those that you have the privilege of caring for. Listen, just just be thankful the Lord gives you the privilege of caring for somebody. That's a real privilege. There's a lady that I'm thinking of right now who's gone through a terrible experience in her life and she's so down on herself it's really pathetic. And she says, I'm no good to anybody. She's thought about, she's a number of times contemplated suicide and I've said to her, listen, you know, one good you are to... She was talking about how certain Christian friends had just given to her and given their time and their energy and tried to help her out. I said, you know what? You're, you're giving other Christians an opportunity to be a blessing, to, to share what God's given them. I said, you're a blessing to them. Sure, you're worth something. You're, you're a receiver right now. And you're giving some of God's children a chance to love you. She says, I don't like that. I want to be able to give, you know. I said, just wait. God will give you your chance. You know, you'll start being able to give one of these days. And she will. I'm convinced she will. So we, we can be receivers at times and we can be givers at times and we just keep the cycle going, receiving and giving, receiving and giving. And so he says that... Uh, he prayed for them. He didn't cease to give thanks for them. While making mention of you in my prayers. Now here's what he's going to pray for them. You want to know how to pray for the saints? Here's how to pray for them. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Number one on your prayer list for your brothers and sisters in Christ is to pray that they will have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Christ. Spiritual things are spiritually understood. They don't come through human logic. And if you want to know how to pray for your fellow Christian, you pray that they'll be able to perceive spiritual truth. That they won't go along in a state of spiritual blindness. It's really important. Really important. You know, a lot of spiritual babes just don't seem to be able to see anything. They, they've accepted Jesus and that's it. And what they need is that the Lord will give them, they need some brothers and sisters in Christ who will pray for them, as Paul did, that the Lord will give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. And then I'll tell you, they'll get off the launching pad and into orbit once they get that. You know, the Lord did this for me when I was in college. I, I believe He gave me a hunger for the Word of God at that time that's such as I've never known before. For about three years, I had such a hunger for God's Word that I, it, was, it was as real to me as any physical hunger I've ever experienced. 
I couldn't get enough of the Word of God. I would drive for miles to go to a Bible class. Any Bible class I heard about. And I was trying to go through college and I'd take off at night and go to Bible classes because I was so hungry for the Word of God. That hunger was as real as any physical hunger I've ever known in my life. You know, if the Lord has given you that hunger, you thank Him for that. And, and I began to see things, things I never dreamed were in the Scripture. Now, some of you are sitting here and you say, man, I haven't experienced that. Well, if you haven't, you ask the Lord to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ, to reveal the knowledge of Christ to you. And you'll begin to see things that you didn't know were in this book. And it's a thrilling experience. You'll find that you, it's not being taught to you by someone else. God is showing these things to you. And then he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. This goes along with the spirit of wisdom and revelation, but it, it's the opening up of the eyes of the heart. We're like little kittens that have been born but don't yet have their eyes open sometimes. You see, we need our spiritual eyes open. And we need to pray for one another that that will happen so that there will be spiritual insight. That's the greatest need we have in life. Not a worldly, fleshly insight, but spiritual. So that you may know what is the hope of His calling. I want you to see what it is to be called by God and what a tremendous hope you have. You know... Christians don't have enough hope. We give up too easily. We get tired. We get worn out. Or we get overpowered by the world and we get frustrated and we want to quit. You know, I'm so glad that God hasn't let me quit. There's been times, that I've been, let me tell you, there's been a number of times that I've said, Lord, I'm fed up. I want to quit the ministry. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to ever preach anymore. I don't want to ever teach anymore. I'm just tired. I don't want to be bothered. With it, I'd just soon be out uh, digging ditches or, or anything, but just get me out of this, Lord. And then he doesn't listen to me. Thank the Lord for that. Because, you know, you get to a point where you you give up hope. You get tired. You don't have a... You don't, hope is that joyful expectation of better things to come. You're always expecting better things to come. The word hope in the New Testament is not that like we use it in our time. We say, I hope it won't rain tonight. You know, that's wishful thinking. In the New Testament, the word hope is a, an ex, a joyful expectation of better things to come. For the Christian, things are always going to get better. You know, even if you get sick and die, they're going to take a turn for the better. You know, there's, there's, we, the, things are always going to get better for the Christian. No way to get us down, really. So we ought to live in hope. And I think that's what Paul was praying for, that these people would have a sense of hope, expecting things to get better all the time. And you know, when you live with that, uh, you can't get a person like that down. doesn't matter what happens. Their world can fall apart, and they're still expecting things to get better. <laughs> and that's good. All right, he says, and that's praying. That's what you're to pray for. Pray that your fellow Christians, as well as you, will be able to live in this joyful hope. And then he says, I'm praying for you uh, that you might know what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is. And it says, his inheritance. 
Do you realize that, that he's praying that they will see that God's greatest benefit comes in his people? God gets his benefit from us. His inheritance is us. When we think about inheritance, we think of Aunt Susie dying and leaving us a million dollars or something like that, you know. What's God's inheritance? He doesn't need a million dollars. He wants people. And we're His inheritance. And we see the riches of the glory of His inheritance. People are precious in God's sight. And Paul says we need to see how precious we are. We are and others are. And he prays for our insight here. And then he says, I want you to know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. That's another prayer request. That we might be able to see. That our eyes might be opened to the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. If you want to know how to pray for a believer, pray that he'll understand how great the power of God is in his life. And you know, God's power is in spiritual realms. It's nothing with God to make a world. I mean, you know, snap his fingers and off spins another globe. That's not what's the big deal. The big deal is to remake a soul. To bring a, a life into conformity to Christ. To bring many sons into glory. That's what God is after. That's the power. That's what. That's where power is really released. And Paul says, I want you to, uh, I'm praying that you might see what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. We have all the power of God at our disposal. To see God work miracles. And if our eyes are opened, we'll see miracles happening when the world says everything's falling apart. We'll see God is, God's hand is still there. He hasn't forsaken us. And then finally he says, These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him head over all things to the church, now get this, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see what he says? This power that is great toward us who believe is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, seated him at the right hand of, power, of authority over all other authority. And he says, this same Jesus was given to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. You know, I, I, I don't know about you, I, I get goosebumps when I think about that. He says that we fill up Jesus and Jesus fills up everything. I can't imagine him saying that I'm necessary to him. But that's what he says. We are the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is so precious in the sight of God. The body of Christ is so precious to Him that we are the fullness of Christ. It takes us to fill Him up and to satisfy Him. That's the kind of God we serve. 
the God of all grace. And let me tell you something. The body of Christ is precious. Every saint is precious. There's not one unimportant child of God anywhere. I have a message, a, a title that I use sometimes called God Doesn't Make a Nobody. Everybody's somebody with God. He loves everyone. And they're all precious in His sight. And it takes every one of His children to fill Him up. And He fills everything. And Paul says, I'm praying you'll get that picture. Now you study the prayers of Paul. I was also going to take you to chapter 2, or chapter 3, his other prayers there. But you can do that on your own. Where Paul prays for the church so that they'll, they'll grasp and comprehend the love of God which is beyond knowledge and that's something he prays that you'll know the love of God which is beyond knowledge that's a paradox how can I know something that's beyond knowledge so if you want to know how to pray pray for people the way this man prayed for people and these are, these are important petitions, important requests. When you start praying like that for your brothers and sisters in Christ, let me tell you, things are going to start happening. So he says, pray with all petition and all <coughs> prayer at all times in the Spirit. So let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the privilege of prayer. We thank you that a little child can talk to you and, and you love to listen to little children pray. And yet, Father, also men can come to you who have learned the art of prayer, who can intercede in behalf of others, who can move nations and peoples, hearts of individuals through their prayers. Thank you, Lord, that there's such a wide diversity in the kinds of prayers in the way we pray and in the, the levels of maturity of prayer Lord teach us to pray put within us a heart's desire to pray on a spiritual plane and how we long to see your people with their spiritual eyes open to see the marvelous things that are ours in Christ to see the privileges that we have the riches that belong to us to see that we fill up Christ who fills up everything this just overwhelms us we love you tonight Lord if there's anyone in the room that has not come to a personal faith in you Lord Jesus I pray that even tonight they'll just look you in the face and say Lord Jesus thank you for dying for me Thank you for being my Savior. I do accept you as my Savior and trust you to be my Lord and my Master. And we thank you, Father, that if they pray a simple prayer like that, that you've already heard it. You've already blotted out their sins and written their name in the book of life. And then, Father, I pray that every saint in this room will see that they're saints and that they will begin to have the eyes of their heart enlightened that they will be given a spirit of wisdom and knowledge and revelation in the knowledge of Christ so that they see spiritual truth, not just on the surface of things, but beneath the surface. That we might be filled up with the hope 
of the calling that we, that's been given to us. A wonderful anticipation of better things to come. Father, I thank you for this group and I thank you for Jack. I pray your blessings upon him and his witness and his ministry. And I pray that this group and the various groups represented here might have all of the riches of Christ uh, made real to them so that they in turn can share these riches with those about them. Cause the group to grow in stature, in knowledge of Christ, and also in number. We ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.